Book One, Chapter Eight of Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Strangers and Pilgrims, Chapter Eight. He never saw, never before today, what was able to take his breath away, a face to lose youth for, to occupy age with the dream of, meet death with. It was early in November, and Mrs. Chevenix had been at the vicarage a month, a month of inexorable dullness, faintly relieved by a couple of provincial dinner-parties, at which the hawley pastor assembled round his well-furnished board a choice selection of what were called the best people in the neighbourhood. But the best people seemed somewhat dismal company to Mrs. Chevenix, who cared for no society that lacked the real London flavour, the bouquet of Hyde Park and the clubs. She was beginning to pine for the racier talk of her own peculiar set, for the small luxuries of her own establishment, when an event occurred which in a moment transformed Hawley and rendered it just the most delightful spot upon this lower sphere. She had gone to church with her nieces on Sunday morning, in by no means a pleasant humour, captiously disposed rather and inclined to hold forth about their papa's peculiarities and their own shortcomings in a strain which elizabeth openly resented and the other girls inwardly rebelled against if i had been as cross as aunt chevenix is this morning in my nursery days i should have been told that i had got up on the wrong side of my bed said blanche walking with diana in the rear of the matron I suppose it wouldn't do for us mildly to suggest to Auntie that she might have got up on the wrong side of her bed this morning. It might seem out of keeping. I wonder you stop with us, if our society is so very unpleasant, Aunt, said Elizabeth boldly. You ungrateful girl! You ought to know that I am staying in this relaxing climate at the hazard of my own health, simply in order to interpose my influence between you and destruction. Elizabeth greeted this reproach with a scornful laugh, even at the gate of the churchyard. You foolish auntie! You surely don't suppose that your presence here would prevent my doing anything I wish to do? that the mere dead weight of your worldly wisdom would quench the fire of my impulses she said they were within the church porch before aunt chevenix could reply she sailed up the central aisle with all her plain sails spread and took the most comfortable seat in the vicarage pew without bestowing so much as a glance upon the herd of nobodies who worshipped their creator in that remote temple and whose bonnets and choices of colour in general she protested was barbarous enough to set the teeth on edge she sat with half-closed eyelids and a languid air during the earlier portion of the service and kept her seat throughout the reading of the psalms but in the middle of the hymn that was sung before the litany elizabeth was surprised by a complete change in her aunt's manner the cold blue eyes opened to their widest extent while their gaze grew fixed in an eager stare the carefully finished eyebrows were raised the corners of the mouth which feature had previously been distinguished by a somewhat sour expression relaxed into a faint smile the whole physiognomy indicated at once pleasure and surprise the look was so marked that elizabeth's eyes involuntarily followed the direction of her aunt's transfixed gaze 
her wandering glance that way did not show her anything very strange only old lady paulyn a somewhat faded dame in a lavender satin bonnet and a black velvet cloak and rare old mechlin collar all of ancient fashion in precisely such garments could elizabeth remember lady paulyn from the days of her childhood she lived in a huge and dismal architectural pile about seven miles from hawley saw very little society kept no state and gave but sparingly to the poor she had an only son for whom she was said to be hoarding her money and very large were the figures by which the gossips of hawley computed her hoards of young lord paulyn viscount paulyn in the peerage of england and baron octolochy in ireland her only son hawley had of late years seen so little that his face and figure were known to but few among the denizens of that town but various were the rumours of that young man's manners and movements in the more brilliant scenes which he affected his tastes were of the turf turfy he was said to have a tan gallop of his own at newmarket and a stable in yorkshire and while some authorities declared he was making ducks and drakes of all the wealth of past generations of paulins all more or less distinguished by a miserly turn of mind and dating their nobility from the time of charles the second who by way of recompense for divers accommodations of a financial character created one jasper paulin merchant and money-lender viscount paulin of ashcombe other wiseacres affirmed that he had doubled his fortune by lucky transactions on the turf betting against his own horses and various strokes of genius of a like calibre on whichever side the truth may have lain and whatever hazard there might be of future ruin lord paulyn was at this present date accounted one of the richest bachelors in england mrs chevenix had met him on rare and happy occasions to be remembered and boasted of long afterwards and had gazed upon him with the eyes of worship he had even been civil to her in his easy off-hand way and had spoken of her to a common acquaintance as a decent old party held her head uncommon high though and looked as if she'd been driven with a bearing rein the luttrells were on sufficiently friendly terms with the viscount's mother although the viscount himself was a stranger to them about twice a year lady paulyn called at the vicarage and about twice a year mr luttrell and a brace of his daughters made a ceremonial visit to ashcombe the seat of the paulyns at school treats and other charity festivals on warm summer afternoons the lavender satin bonnet would sometimes make its appearance nodding to the commonality with a benignant condescension while plethoric farmers of a radical turn opined that it'd be a good deal better if the old gal had put her name down for a five-pound note a little oftener instead of waggling of her blessed old bonnet like a chinese mandarin whatever five-pound notes lady paulyn did bestow upon the deserving or undeserving indigent were dealt out by the agency of mr luttrell or mr chapman the incumbent of an ancient little church in the ancient village of ashcombe no necessitous wanderers were allowed to prowl about the courtyards or loiter at the back doors of ashcombe manor no dole of milk or bread or wine or beer or broken victuals was ever dispensed in the ashcombe kitchen lady paulyn sold the produce of her dairy and poultry yards her garden stuffs and venison orchard-houses and vineries she had none 
holding the cultivation of fruit under glass to be a new-fangled mode of wasting money or she would assuredly have sold her grapes and pines and peaches but she had acres of apple orchard whose produce she supplied to a cider manufacturer at hawley retaining only a certain number of bushels of the least saleable apples for the concoction of a peculiarly thin and acid liquor which she drank herself and gave to her servants and dependents if it's good enough for me my dear it ought to be good enough for them she told her companion and poor relation miss hilda disney when the voice of revolt was faintly heard from the servants hall the lavender satin bonnet was not alone in the great square pew miss disney was seated opposite her benefactress a fair quiet-looking young woman with long flaxen ringlets and a curious stillness about her face and manner at all times an air of supreme repose which seemed to have grown up out of the solitude and silence of her joyless life until it had become an attribute of her own nature she had refined and delicate features a faultless complexion of the blended rose and lily order large soft blue eyes and lacked only life and expression to be almost beautiful wanting these she was in the words of elizabeth luttrell a very pretty picture of a pink and white woman there is not a factory girl in hawley so much to be pitied as miss disney said elizabeth when she discovered this young lady's character and surroundings how much better to be waxwork altogether than be only half alive like that but there is one advantage in having that kind of semi-sentient nature i don't believe hilda disney feels anything either the gloom of that dismal old house or the tyranny of that awful old woman i don't suppose she would mind very much if lady paulyn were to stick pins in her as the witches used to stick pins in their wax figures or perhaps she might feel pins though she is impervious to nagging to-day elizabeth looked from the viscountess to miss disney and wondered with some touch of feminine compassion if she would ever have a new bonnet or go on wearing the same headgear of black lace and violets to her dying day but there was a third person in the paulyn pew and it was upon the countenance of this last individual that the distended eyeballs of mrs chevenix gazed with that gaze of wonderment and delight this third person was a stranger to the sight of most people in hawley he was a man of about six-and-twenty broad-shouldered and strongly built but not above the middle height with a face that was singularly handsome after a purely animal type of beauty a low forehead a short straight nose moulded rather than chiselled full lips shaded by a thick brown moustache a square jaw a trifle too heavy for the rest of the face a powerful column-like throat fully exposed by the low-cut collar and narrow strip of cravat short-cut hair of reddish-brown and large bright eyes of the same hue a reddish hazel eyes that had never been dimmed by thought or study but had something of the sailor's hawk-like far-off vision it was the face and figure of a greek athlete the winner of the wild olive crown in the days when strength was accounted beauty do you know who that is in the pew by the altar whispered mrs chevenix under cover of the tall green baize lined pew when they knelt down for the litany don't know i'm sure replied elizabeth indifferently 
i suppose it's a stranger that they've put in the ashcombe pew that young man is lord paulyn one of the richest men in london said mrs chevenix in an awe-stricken whisper oh said elizabeth settling down to the responses and not peculiarly impressed by this announcement sorely mechanical was mrs chevenix's share in the service after this discovery her lips murmured the responses with undeviating correctness she escaped every pitfall which our form of prayer offers for the unwary and came up to time at every point but her mind was busy with curious thoughts about lord paulyn and very little of the vicar's good old english sermon a judicious solution of tillotson's south and venn found its way to her comprehension she contrived to steer her way down the aisle so as to emerge from the porch with her elbow against the elbow of lord paulyn and then came radiant smiles of recognition and intense astonishment at this unexpected meeting there's nothing very remarkable in it said the viscount while the luttrell girls were shaking hands with lady paulyn and miss disney my mother lives down here you know and i generally come up for a week or so in the hunting season going to church is rather out of my line i admit but i sometimes do it here to gratify the mater any of your people live down here mrs chevenix oh yes i am staying with my brother the vicar bless my soul oh luttrell your brother is he i'd no idea of that those girls belong to you i suppose rather nice girls talking to my mother oh those young ladies are my nieces uncommonly handsome girl that tall one we're rather noted for that sort of thing in the west pilchards clotted cream and fine women are our staples pray introduce me to your nieces mrs chevenix do they hunt mrs chevenix shook her head despondently elizabeth has all the ambition for that kind of thing she said but not the opportunity my brother has four daughters and the church is not a golconda that's a pity said the viscount staring at elizabeth who was talking to miss disney on the opposite side of the path along which the congregation was slowly moving with a good deal of nodding and beckoning and friendly salutation that tall girl looks as if she'd be a rather straightish rider i could give her a good mount if her father would let her hunt oh that would be quite out of the question said mrs chevenix my brother has such strict notions a remark which might have sounded somewhat curious to the easy-going pastor himself but mrs chevenix had certain cards to play and knew pretty well how to play them hmm, i suppose so a parson and all that kind of thing uh, which is elizabeth the tall one yes elizabeth is the tallest of the four she is an uncommonly handsome girl oh she is generally considered so egad so she ought to be there wasn't a girl to compare with her in this year's betting introduce me please mrs chevenix the matron hesitated as if this demand were hardly agreeable to her 
i think the introduction would come better from lady paulyn she said as my nieces appear to be on friendly terms with her oh very well my mother can present me comes to the same thing don't you know her uh, mrs chevenix shook her head with gentle melancholy my nieces have not taken the trouble to make us acquainted she said i was not even aware that lady paulyn had a seat in this part of the country she might have added that she was not even aware of lady paulyn's existence until this morning she had supposed the viscount to be in the independent position of an orphan oh, yes we've a place down here and a precious ugly one but my mother likes it doesn't cost much to keep up though it's big enough for a barracks i say mother crossing the pathway which was now nearly clear this is mrs chevenix mr luttrell's sister who is dying to know you mrs chevenix made a sweeping curtsey as if she had some idea of subsiding into unknown depths below the time-worn tombstones that pave the pathway the lavender bonnet gave a little friendly nod and the viscountess extended a paw in a crumpled black kid glove and now mother you may present me to these young ladies said the viscount the presentation was made but hardly with that air of cordiality which it was lady paulyn's habit to employ as a set-off against the closeness of her financial operations and the inhospitality of her gaunt old mansion mrs chevenix detected a lurking reluctance in the dowager's manner of making her son known to the luttrell girls the vicar came out of the porch while this ceremony was being performed with malcolm ford by his side there were more greetings and elizabeth had time to shake hands with her father's curate although lord paulyn was in the very utterance of some peculiarly original remark about the general dullness of hawley mr ford had been very kind to her since her return to the path he had chalked out for her deferential even in his manner as if she had become at once the object of his gratitude and respect but he had no opportunity of saying much to elizabeth just now though she turned at once to greet him and had forgotten to respond to lord paulyn's remark about hawley for gertrude plunged immediately into the usual parish talk and held forth upon the blessed fruits of her late labours as manifest in the appearance of a certain job smithers in the free seats a man who was almost an infidel dear mr ford and used to take his children's sunday frocks to the pawnbroker's every thursday or friday in order to obtain drink but i'm thankful to say i persuaded him to take the pledge and i cherish hopes of his complete reformation rather given to pledges that fellow i should think miss luttrell said the viscount in an irreverent spirit i can't conceive why young ladies in the country plague themselves with useless attempts at reforming such fellows i don't believe there's a ha'porth of good done by it you may keep a man sober for a week but he'll break out and drink double as much for the next fortnight you might as well try to stop a man from having scarlet fever when the poison's in his blood i had a trainer now in the north as clever a fellow as ever breathed i think if you'd given him a clothes horse to train he'd have made it win a cup before he'd done with it but there was no keeping him away from a bottle 
i tried everything mm, talked to him like a father supplied him with a chateau lafitte to try and get him off the brandy but it was no use and the stupid beggar had one attack of dt after another till he went off his head altogether and had to be locked up this improving anecdote lord paulyn apparently related for the edification of elizabeth since although he began by addressing gertrude it was on the younger sister his gaze was fixed as he dwelt plaintively on the hapless doom of his trainer won't you come to the vicarage for luncheon lady paulyn asked mr luttrell who had the old-fashioned eager country squirish hospitality and who saw that the viscount hardly seemed inclined to move from his stand upon a crumbling old tombstone which recorded the decease of josiah judd of this parish also of amelia judd wife of the above and of hannah infant daughter of the above and so on through a perplexing string of departed judds all of this parish a fact dwelt upon with as much insistence as if to be of this parish were an earthly distinction that ought to prove a passport to eternal felicity you're very kind said the dowager graciously and your luncheons are always excellent but i shouldn't like to have the horses out so late on a sunday and parker my coachman is a primitive methodist and makes a great point of attending his own chapel once every sunday i like to defer to my servants prejudices in these small matters oh lady paulyn i hope you don't call salvation a small matter ejaculated gertrude who would have lectured an archbishop hang parker's prejudices cried lord paulyn and as to those two old screws of yours in the chariot why, i don't believe anything could hurt them they ought to have been sent to a knacker's yard five years ago i always call that wall-eyed grey the ancient mariner he holds me with his glassy eye <laughs> we'll come to the vicarage by all means mr luttrell the dowager gave way at once she was much too wise to make any attempt at dragooning this only son for whose enrichment she had pinched and scraped and hoarded until pinching and scraping and hoarding had become the habit of her mind too well did she know that reginald paulyn was a young man who would go his own way that her small economies her domestic cheese-paring and flint-skinning were as so many drops of water as compared with the vast ocean of his expenditure yet she went on economising with ineffable patience and thought no day ill-spent in which she had saved a shilling between sunrise and sunset they all moved away in the direction of the vicarage which unlike the usual run of vicarages was somewhat remote from the church there was a walk of about a quarter of a mile between st clement's which stood within the west bar a grey old archway at the end of the high street and the abode of the luttrells the vicar offered his arm to the dowager oh you'll come with us of course ford he said in his friendly way looking round at his curate and the curate did not refuse that offer of hospitality sunday luncheon at hawley vicarage was a famous institution mr luttrell as a rule abjured that midday meal pronouncing it in the words of some famous epicure an insult to a man's breakfast and an injury to his dinner but on sunday the pastor sacrificed himself to the convenience of his household 
and went without his seven o'clock dinner in order that his cook might exhibit her best bonnet in the afternoon and evening at his two churches there was no roasting or boiling in the vicarage kitchen on that holy day only a gentle simmering of curries and fricassees prepared overnight nor was there any regular dinner but by way of substitute therefore a high tea at eight o'clock a pleasant easy-going banquet which had been much affected by former curates but woe be to the household if the two o'clock luncheon were not a select and savoury repast and miss luttrell and the cook held solemn consultation every saturday morning in order to secure this result so the vicar enjoyed himself every sunday with his friends round him and bemoaned himself every monday on the subject of that untimely meal declaring that he had thrown his whole internal machinery out of gear for the accommodation of his servants to-day the luncheon seemed a peculiar success lady paulyn who was somewhat a stranger to the good things of this life did ample justice to the viands devoured curried chicken with the gusto of an anglo-indian called the parlour-maid back to her for a second supply of oyster volivant and wound up with cold sirloin and winter salad in a manner that was eminently suggestive of indigestion lord paulyn had the modern appetite which is of the weakest trifled with a morsel of curry drank a good deal of seltzer and brandy and enjoyed himself amazingly after his manner entertaining elizabeth by whose side he had contrived to be seated with the history of his yorkshire stable and confiding to her his lofty hopes for the coming year she was not particularly interested in this agreeable discourse but she could see just as plainly as mrs chevenix saw that the viscount was impressed by her beauty and it was not unpleasant to her to have made such an impression upon that patrician mind even if it were merely the affair of the hour nor was she unconscious of a certain steady watchfulness in the dark deep-set eyes of malcolm forde who sat opposite to her and was singularly inattentive to the remarks of his next neighbour gertrude i don't suppose his perfect woman ever had the opportunity of flirting with a viscount thought elizabeth or that she would have done such a thing if she had i like to horrify him with an occasional glimpse of those depths of iniquity to which i can descend if he cared for me a little now and there were any chance of making him jealous the pleasure would be ever so much keener but that is out of the question so the reformed elizabeth the christian pastor's daughter who visited the poor and comforted the afflicted and supported the heads of sick children on her bosom and read the gospel to the ignorant and did in some vague undeterminate manner struggle toward the higher purer life vanished altogether giving place to a young person who improved her opportunity with the viscount as dexterously as if she'd been bred up at the knees of aunt chevenix and had never known any loftier philosophy than that which dropped from those worldly lips malcolm forde looked on and shuddered and for such a woman i had almost been false to the memory of alice fraser it must not be supposed that elizabeth's iniquity was of an outrageous nature she was only listening with an air of profound interest to lord paulyn's stable talk 
even trying to comprehend the glory of possessing a horse entered for next year's derby about which fifteen to two had been freely taken at manchester during the autumn and who was likely to advance in the betting after christmas she was only smiling radiantly upon a young man she had never seen until that morning only receiving the homage of admiring eyes with a gracious air of unconsciousness like some splendid flower which does not shrink or droop under the full blaze of a meridian sun but rather basks and brightens beneath the glory of the sun-god but to the eyes of the man who watched her with an interest he would hardly care to confess to himself this conduct seemed very black indeed he groaned inwardly over the defection of this fair young soul which not a little while ago he had deemed regenerate she's not worth the anxiety i feel about her he said to himself gertrude is a hundred times her superior really earnest really good not a creature of whim and impulse drifted about by every wind that blows and yet i cannot feel the same interest in her and then he began to wonder if there were indeed something inherently interesting in sin and if the repentant sinner must needs always have the advantage of the just person it seemed almost a hard saying to him that touching sentence of the gospel of hope which reserves its highest promises for the wilful passionate soul that has chosen its own road in life and has only been brought home broken and soiled and tarnished at the last gertrude was virtuous but not interesting vainly did malcolm ford endeavour to apply his ear to her discourse his attention was distracted in spite of himself by that animated talk upon the other side of the wide oval table his eyes wandered now to the handsome sensual face of the viscount now to elizabeth's lively countenance which expressed no weariness of that miserable horsey talk nor was mr ford the only person present who took note of that animated conversation from her place at the farther end of the table miss disney's calm blue eyes wandered ever and anon toward her kinsman and elizabeth hardly with any show of interest or concern but with a coldly curious air as if she wondered at lord paulyn's vivacity as an unwonted exhibition on his part she was very quiet spoke little and only replied in the briefest sentences to any remark made by mr luttrell next to whom she was seated she ate hardly anything rarely smiled and appeared to take very little more interest in the life about and around her than if she had been indeed a waxen image impervious to pain or pleasure luncheon came to an end at last after being drawn out to a point that seemed intolerable to the curate st mary's bells sounded in the distance from the eastern end of the large straggling town there was only a short afternoon service the litany and a catechising of the children which mr luttrell himself rarely attended deeming that perambulatory examination of small scholars the hearing of collect epistle and gospel stumbled through with more or less blundering by monotonous treble voices a task peculiarly adapted to the curate mind so as soon as grace had been said mr ford rose quietly shook hands with gertrude and slipped away not unseen by elizabeth 
there's a good deal of that fellow for a curate said lord paulyn casting a lazy glance at the retreating figure he ought to have been a life guardsman mr ford has been in the army elizabeth answered coldly i thought as much and in a cavalry regiment of course he has that long sword saddle and bridle walk what made him take to the church the army's bad enough stiff examinations bad pay and hard work but it must be better than the church what made him change his profession mr ford has not taken the trouble to acquaint the world with his motives said elizabeth with increasing coldness lord paulyn looked at her curiously she seemed somewhat sensitive upon the subject of this tall curate was there anything between them he wondered a flirtation an engagement even perhaps he had caught the curate's glance wandering her way several times during the banquet egad the fellow has good taste thought lord paulyn she's the prettiest woman i ever saw bar none and is no end too good for a snuffling parson i'll make that old chevenix tell me all about it presently that old chevenix had been trying to make her way with the dowager during the lengthy meal entertaining her with little scraps of town talk and small ladylike scandal not virulent vulgar slander but good-natured genial kind of gossip touching lightly upon the failings and errors of one's acquaintance deploring their little infirmities and mistaken courses with a friendly compassionate spirit essentially christian but she was mortified to discover that her small efforts to amuse were futile the dowager would not acknowledge acquaintance with one of the people mrs chevenix talked about or the faintest interest in these public characters the shining lights of the great world about whose private life every well-regulated british mind is supposed to be curious i don't know her said this impracticable old woman i never met him i'm not acquainted with them until the soul of the chevenix sank within her for she was ardently desirous of establishing friendly relations with this perverse dowager i'm a devonshire woman and i only know devonshire people said the dowager ruthlessly cutting short one of the choicest stories that had been current in the last london season then you must know the trepethericks exclaimed mrs chevenix in her gushing way dear lady trepetherick is a sweet woman and one of my best friends and sir charles what a thorough independent-minded englishman i never heard of em replied the dowager bluntly and mrs chevenix was hardly sorry when the conclusion of the meal brought her hopeless endeavours to a close i can't keep those horses waiting any longer said this ungrateful old woman as she rose from the table after having eaten to repletion will you tell them to bring my carriage directly reginald oh, nonsense mother the horses are in the stable and much better off than they'd be at ashcombe i dare say answered the viscount i'm not coming home for an hour miss luttrell is going to show me the garden and an ancient turret that was part of hawley castle miss luttrell is at the other end of the room said the dowager grimly perceiving that her son's gaze was rooted to elizabeth miss elizabeth luttrell then said that young man 
you'll show me the garden won't you there's not much worth your looking at answered elizabeth carelessly oh yes there is a man would travel a long way to see as much cried the viscount significantly and then thinking that his admiration had been somewhat too direct he went on a medieval tower you know and all that sort of thing but you needn't wait for me mother if you're really anxious to get home i'll find my way back to ashcombe somehow what walk seven miles between this and dinner time exclaimed the dowager there are circumstances under which a man might do as much answered the viscount and the ashcombe dinners are not banquets which i hold in extreme reverence lady paulyn sighed despondently it was a hard thing to have toiled for such an ingrate i'll wait for you reginald she said with a resigned air parker must lose his afternoon service for once in a way i dare say he'll give me warning to-morrow morning so lord paulyn went into the garden with elizabeth longing sorely for the solacement of a cigar even in that agreeable society he made the circuit of grounds in which there was very little to see in the month of november went into the orchard which he pronounced rather a jolly little place and contemplated the landscape to be seen therefrom examined the moss-grown tower which flanked the low white house and uttered divers critical remarks which did not show him to be a profound student of archaeology nice old place for a smoking crib he said uh, what do you use it for lumber-room or coal or wine-cellar eh? my sister blanche and i sleep in it replied elizabeth laughing i wouldn't change my tower-room for any other in the house ah but you'll change it you know one of these days when you have a house of your own and such a girl as you must look forward to something better than this old vicarage i'm quite satisfied with surroundings that are good enough for the rest of my family said elizabeth with her proudest air and i have never looked forward to anything of the kind oh but come now really you know remonstrated the viscount a girl like you can't mean to be buried alive for ever you ought to see the world ascot you know and goodwood and the oxford and cambridge boat race and the pigeon shooting at hurlingham <laughs> you can't intend to mope in this dreary old place all your life i don't mean to say anything against your father's house and i'm sure he gave us an uncommonly good luncheon but this kind of life is not up to your mark you know here was a second counsellor suggesting that the life elizabeth luttrell lived was not good enough for her urging upon her the duty of rising above her surroundings but in a somewhat different spirit from that other adviser whom she had of late pretended to obey and this foolish impressionable soul was but too ready to follow the new guide too ready to admit that it was a hard thing to be fettered to the narrow life of a country parsonage to be cut off for ever from that brighter world of ascot and goodwood it was not that she considered the viscount at all a superior person she was quite able to perceive that this heir of all the ages and all the paulins was made of very vulgar clay 
but she knew that he was a power in that unknown world whose pleasures she had sometimes longed for with an intense longing and it was not unpleasant to hear from so great an authority that she was worthy to shine there she was not alone with the viscount in the garden even for half an hour the proprieties must be observed in devonshire as well as in belgravia mrs chevenix was taking a constitutional with diana close at hand while elizabeth and the lordling were strolling along the garden walks and making the circuit of the orchard the dowager had also hobbled out by this time with mr luttrell in attendance upon her not too well pleased at being cut off from the sweets of his afternoon nap i might as well be catechising the children as doing this he thought dolefully but there is an end of all social self-sacrifice and the lumbering old yellow chariot came grinding over the carriage drive at last whereupon lady paulyn declared that she must go i am sure we have had a vastly agreeable visit she said wagging her ancient head graciously and softening at her departure with a grateful recollection of that toothsome volivant you must all come and dine with me one of these days this was a vague kind of invitation which the luttrells had heard before a shadowy coin wherewith the dowager paid off small obligations yes mother cried lord paulyn eagerly you'd better ask mr luttrell and the young ladies and uh, mrs chevenix to dine with you some day next week while i'm at ashcombe you know it's deuced dull there unless we're lucky enough to get nice people what day will suit you eh mr luttrell hilda shall write miss luttrell a little note said the dowager graciously hilda writes all my little notes notes be hanged exclaimed lord paulyn why not settle it now you're not going to give a party you know you never do come luttrell name your day for bringing over the young ladies there'll be nobody to meet you unless it's chapman the ashcombe parson a very good fellow and an uncommonly straight rider will thursday suit you that's an off day with me you might come over to luncheon and do the family pictures if you care about that dingy school of art uh, couldn't you this to elizabeth the miss luttrells have seen our picture gallery reginald said the dowager well never mind they can see it again i know those old portraits a collection of ancient mugs are not much worth looking at but in the country you know one must do something it's a good way of getting through a winter's afternoon and i can teach you bezique if you don't know it this to the damsels generally but with a special glance at elizabeth we'll say thursday then at two o'clock and mind we shall expect you all shan't we mother he hoisted her into the chariot before she could gainsay him and in a manner extinguished her and any objection she might have been disposed to offer what a charming young man exclaimed mrs chevenix as the chariot rumbled away after taking very cordial adieu from the viscount and a somewhat cold leave-taking from hilda disney so frank so easy so unassuming so utterly unconscious of his position one would never discover from his manner that he was one of the richest noblemen in england 
and that the Paulins are as old a family as the Percy's. I don't see any special merit in that, said Mr. Luttrell, laughing. A man can hardly go about the world labelled with the amount of his income, or wear his genealogical tree embroidered on the back of his coat. And you're mistaken when you call the Paulins a good old family. They were in trade as late as the reign of Charles II, and owe their title to the king's necessities. <laughs> the young fellow is well enough, however, and seems good-natured and friendly. But I cannot say that the manners of the present day impress me by their elegance or polish, if I am to take Lord Paulin as a fair sample of your modern fine gentleman. The fine gentleman is as extinct as a megatherium, Wilmot. He went out with high collars and, and black satin stocks. The qualities we appreciate nowadays are ease and savoir-faire. If poor George the Fourth could come to life again, with his grand manner, what an absurd creature we should all think the first gentleman of Europe. I'm sorry for our modern taste, then, my dear, answered the vicar. But as Lord Paulin seems inclined to be civil, I suppose we must make the best of him. I wish he'd spend more of his time down here and keep up the old house as it ought to be kept, for the good of the neighbourhood. Oh, you blind old mole, thought Mrs. Chevenix, as Mr. Luttrell retired to his den. A little bit of a room at the end of the house, with a latticed window looking down upon the sloping orchard, a window that faced the western sun and warmed the room pleasantly on a winter afternoon. There was a tiny fireplace in a corner, a capacious armchair, a writing-table at which the vicar hammered out his weekly sermon when he treated his congregation to a new one, a battered old bookcase containing a few books of reference and Mr. Luttrell's college classics, with the cribs that had assisted him therewith. Here he was wont to slumber peacefully on a Sabbath afternoon, until Blanche brought him a cup of strong tea and told him it was time to think about evening service. Mrs. Chevenix ensconced herself in her favourite chair by the drawing-room fire, with a banner screen carefully adjusted for the protection of her complexion, and sat for a long time slowly fanning herself, and meditating on the events of the day. That Lord Paulin was impressed by her niece's beauty, in modern phraseology, hard hit, the astute widow had no doubt, but on the other hand he might be a young man who was in the habit of being hard hit by every pretty girl he met, and the impression might result in nothing. Yet that invitation to Ashcombe, about which he had shown such eagerness, indicated something serious. It might be a question of time, perhaps. If the young man stayed long enough in the neighbourhood, there was no saying what brilliant result might come of the admiration which he had exhibited to-day with such a delightful candour. "'How very odd you should never have seen Lord Paulin before, Blanche,' said Mrs. Chevenix to her youngest niece, who was sitting on the hearthrug, making believe to read a volume of Sunday literature. "'Oh, it's not particularly odd, Auntie, for he very seldom comes here.' And when he does come, about once in two years, perhaps, it's only for the hunting. I never saw him in church before today that I can remember. But it is still more strange that I have never heard you speak of his mother. Oh, she's a stingy old thing, and we don't any of us care for her. 
we only see her about twice a year and there's no reason we should talk about her she's a most uninteresting old party my dearest blanche ease of manner is one thing and vulgarity is another i wish you would bear in mind that distinction party except in its legal or collective sense is a word i abhor and a girl of your age would do well to adopt a more respectful tone in speaking of your superiors in the social scale i really can't be respectful about old lady pauline auntie we had a housemaid from ashcombe and oh the story she told me about that dreadful house they'd make your hair stand on end i wonder what they'll give us for dinner next thursday barley broth perhaps and boiled leg of mutton <laughs> blanche i beg that you will desist from such flippant chatter lady paulyn may be eccentric but she is a lady whose notice it is an honour to receive do you know how long lord paulyn usually stays at ashcombe oh he doesn't usually stay there aunt he's been there once in two years as far as i know and has stayed for a fortnight or three weeks i've heard people say that he cares for nothing but horses and that he spends his life in going from one race meeting to another a thorough englishman's taste said mrs chevenix approvingly if she'd been told that he was an amateur housebreaker or had a passion for garrotting she would have hardly blamed his weakness but i've no doubt he will give up that sort of thing when he marries End of chapter eight